In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, I have an amazing guest here with me, super fun, amazing energy, Cornell Thomas. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. I'm excited to be at the Barty Party. Thank you for having me. (laughs) That term has been coined so, so well by Jerome Myers. I got to give it to him. Credit to you, Jerome, but it is a Barty party. We're here to get it started. But today it's a Cornell party because you are just a man and so excited to have you here and hear about you, your journey and your awesomeness. Thank you. I, I appreciate you. Of course, I appreciate you. And I always start off like this is the most loaded question ever, but it's so mm-hmm. great. What inspired you on your journey to where you are today? Whew, that is a loaded question. What inspired me? I would have to say because my journey is so different, it's it's so different than where it started, like so completely 360 degrees. As in nine years ago, if I go back and say, Cornell, you'd be speaking and writing books and traveling the planet, I would have been like, no, you're on crack. Like that's how different it is. But I would say the the first, the inspiration probably was my was my son about to be born. And also you know, one day just seeing the negativity on Facebook, right? Like I saw, I was on social media and I just saw how negative it was. And I didn't know at that point in time, I'd be a speaker or anything like that. But I felt that something had to be done. And I was like, okay, my little small bubble, my people that follow me on social media, if I can just post some positive quotes, maybe that will change the way people think in the morning. And my son was, you know, my, my track was coaching division one basketball. And right before my son was born, I realized that if I did, if I went that route, I would never be in his life. I just wouldn't have the time to be around for my son. So I was just asking the heavens, any, anybody, well, what is it that I was put here to do? Because I knew for a fact, as much as I love the game of basketball, as much time as I dedicated into it, there's no way I'm going to let this young man grow up without me in it, in his life. Amen to that, that soul searching that you were doing. And how did you get to your answer? I think the the universe got me there because a lot of times we think that like, oh, well, you know, people ask me, well, how'd you get into speaking? And they think it's some crazy story of like, I was walking down the street and I got hit by a rock. And then when I was in the hospital, I had this epiphany about like, <laughs> none of this shit. Like it wasn't that, it was being on social media, seeing negativity getting a book of positive quotes that I had in my house somewhere under something, putting quotes, those quotes on social media every day, and then eventually waking up and not being able to find the book and writing my own quote. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote my own quote, people still liked it. So my personality is if I can do it myself, why would I like screw this book? Like I don't need to look for books. I can just do it myself. So I started writing my own quotes every single day. And a friend of mine, my friend Stephanie, I never forget, we're in this place called Panera Bread in Rockaway, New Jersey. And we're sitting there and she said, where do you get your quotes from? And I said, I just wake up and I make them up. And she goes, oh my gosh, you should write a blog. 
and I looked her dead in the face. I was like, that's a great idea. What the hell is a blog? Like I'd never heard of a blog before, ever. And right, she went to her car, got her laptop. She made up this like little WordPress site on the spot. And I wrote my first blog, it was called Risk. The title of the, the website was Power of Positivity. And that's how it started. Like I just started blogging every Saturday. I wrote a blog in the Power of Positivity. And then eventually I said to myself, well, I would love to write a book. And they're like, how are you going to write a book? I was like, I'm going to ask Google. And then I asked Google and Google was like, here, stupid. This is how you do it. And I was like, cool. And then I wrote my first book and I named it <laughs> The Power of Positivity, like my blog. And uh, all this stuff came out that I just didn't know was there. Like, I had all this trauma, all this suppressed emotion, you know, that was in there. And I was very, Pam, like I was so afraid to let it out. And it was had nothing to do with me like, oh, I'm a man, I can't cry. None of that, like, none of that nonsense. I didn't cry growing up because I didn't want my mom to worry about me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm very, very close to my mom, very protective of my mom. And when I was four years old, my father passed away. He was a police officer in Passaic, New Jersey, passed away from cancer. And my mom had to raise five of us by herself, like, no money. So my whole thing was, if I show, like, emotion or show that something's bothering me, then my mom's going to have to put more time into me. And she's already like, has so much stuff. She's working three jobs. So I suppressed all that. And when I started writing, I always started writing about the people in my life that has changed the trajectory of my life. Like the second chapter is called Ray. Uh, it's named after a guy that showed me how to first shoot a basketball. The first chapter is a guy that I trained jujitsu with up until he passed away. He, had, he, he was diagnosed uh, stage four cancer and he trained two weeks up until he was supposed to, until he passed away. And I talked about his inspiration. And at the very end, I wrote a letter to my father. And that chapter, I was sitting in Starbucks and I was writing and tears just started coming down my eyes. And I haven't cried in, at that point, 15 years or so. And these tears start coming down my eyes. And I like, I was so scared of the emotion because it was unfamiliar. So I closed my laptop and I grabbed my stuff and I just kind of like really sped walked out of, the Starbucks, I went in my car and I just started, I couldn't stop it. I just started crying. And like, when I talk about it now, so long ago, it's like, I still, I feel it. Right. And it's like, I was so scared. I was like, what is happening? And I just started, all this stuff just started coming out. And I said, man, writing is really like, it was, it started becoming therapy for me. Whereas like, man, all this stuff that you never addressed as a child, like now you're writing. And, you know, even when I first started speaking, I would never share things that made me super vulnerable because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to stop it if I cried or I wouldn't be able to, you know, and that took a couple of years to transition into like, no man, now that you're sharing stuff, people are even more drawn to you because they see this big, like six foot five, you know, dude. And I'm almost getting emotional on stage because it's like, man, it's okay to feel like, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to have these emotions. So I'm sorry. It's a super long winded answer to your question, but, but, but it's like, that's kind of the process that I went through where, you know, once it really started out with my son and with what I was seeing, and then I was saying to myself, okay, well, what else is possible? And that's a question I ask myself whenever I get to like a different, different level of what I'm supposed to do. I always ask myself, well, what else is possible? Like, okay, you went to Dubai to speak. Okay. Well, what else is possible? Maybe you go to Africa, Saudi Arabia, maybe you can go here. All right. Well, what else is possible? And I just always ask myself that question. And that's how I've been able to like continue to grow and help people. That's outstanding. And you, and you mentioned 
I mean, you mentioned your journey a little bit kind of and growing up and I resonated with it a lot because, you know, growing up, my parents, they, you know, always working, always working. So I was that kid who also suppressed emotions entirely. My coping mechanisms I learned was sleep and just more work because I never wanted to face it similar to you. And I never realized like how much I had to release as well. And even creating this podcast of being vulnerable scared the living crap out of me because I was like, oh, no, I'm the tough one. But when you come out there and you really share what you've been through, people are so much more drawn to it. They're like, man, this person is real. They are authentic. They're not putting this like veil or this filter on like this is them. This is me. This is what I've been through. And here's how I got through it. Yeah, I dealt with. I love that. The exact day I, I, I never forget. I was speaking at an event in Las Vegas. And I was probably two years into my speaking. And the way these dudes set up the event is they'd show a movie clip. And then one of us, there's four of us, one of us would talk about a topic and the clip went with the topic. And so I'm like, really like go with the flow guy. You can throw out a topic. I can speak on it, right? I'll just speak on it. And so the one guy was like, hey, Cornell, could you talk about purpose? I was like, yeah, I can talk about purpose. Yeah, no problem. Five minutes before someone was supposed to go on stage. So I go, yeah, I'll do it. The clip they played was the end of Pursuit of Happiness. And at that time, I never saw the movie. I knew the, I knew the guy, I knew the true story. I've heard of the movie, but I never saw the movie. So these cats play the last part of the movie when Will Smith gets the job. Spoiler alert, sorry. <laughs> and he's, he's walking outside this packed city in New York. And he's on the block and he's just clapping. And like Pam, like I thought about my mom, like I just started thinking about my mom, like, and the lights come on. Like I'm on stage, it's all dark. They show the clip, the lights come on. And if you watch that tape, I am pacing back and forth so fast that you would think I'm trying to like literally outrun the emotion. Mm. And I started to tear up and I'm like, holy shit, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm starting to tear up, like what's going on? So I finish and I beeline off the stage and a good friend of mine grabs my arm and goes Cornell he goes man he goes that's that's the way you need to speak he's like I love the way you talk you're really funny blah 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 and he's like and I just like all right thanks man and I just kept walking I went outside and I just you know cried and I was like this this is the only time I've ever cried in like public and I was like man there's something to this there's like power in this emotion and like you said to your point like people can empathize with that right like people can say like man I feel like the way Pam's thinking, like talking right now, I can feel that. Having parents that are just working all the time and her being a latchkey kid, there's a ton of us. There's millions of us that grew up as latchkey kids, right? Where we come home, we have to figure it out. You know, you figure out what you eat, you figure out if you're going to do your homework or not, you figure out, get yourself, walk to school, figure out the bus, whatever you got to do, do it. Cause I'm trying to keep a roof over your head and food in your stomach, mm-hmm. right? So like, as soon as you said, you know, as soon as I said, like, Hey, like my mom was working immediately. You were drawn to it because you went through the same thing. Yes. Right. And that's the thing I love. It's like, you're from Boston. Me and you don't look alike. You're way better looking than I am. Right. (laughs) But we can both bond off that similarity. Right. Like people don't understand. Like if you watch TV and the media and all this nonsense, all this divisive crap, you would think we have no thing, no commonalities. Right. You would think that like we have nothing in common. Right. We have everything in common. Right. It's just we choose not to see it, you know, so I just love that. I love the fact that we can connect and like bond 
And, you know, it's just because of our experiences in life, right? You always have someone that is going to relate to what you've been through. Absolutely. And I mean, with that, you know, growing up with the parents that they were at home, all you wanted to do was make them proud. So you never wanted to bring problems to the table when you did see them. Right. And that was it for me. And everyone's like, why are you so driven? How are you so motivated? It's like, because at the end of the day, when my parents came home from that long, long 12, 13, 14 hour day, I'm able to say, hey, mom, I made honor roll. Hey, dad, I made honor roll and have them be be proud not to bring BS to the table, you know? So I, I totally resonate with you. And, and like the authentic connection of, of understanding, you know, where it is that we came from, right? I came from a totally different country, from Albania to here. And look at that. We're bonded somehow. We're all so much more alike than we could ever imagine. And it's just, I mean, it's the media that divides us. I will say that. 100%. 100%. Because if we are ever together, like if we ever truly, if there was ever a generation that actually came together and realized this game, this system has been doing the same thing since the beginning of time, right? If we ever came together, then the 99% would take over, right? And the world would look different. Right. So I always say the matrix is one of the best documentaries I've ever watched because it truly is a documentary. The people in power that are less than 1% rule the 99% because they find ways for us to be divided over things like hue, right? Like skin tone, gender, religion, politics, Boston Yankees, like they want to find anything for us to like be at each other's heads. But the, the great thing is, is that we're, we're finding each other and we're connecting and there's nothing they can do to stop. Which is amazing. And I feel like at this point in time that we're, we're at now, there's a, a point of healing. It's a point of authenticity. It was so interesting. I was on LinkedIn and I'm getting messages now on LinkedIn. They're not typed messages. They're voice messages. They are. Now LinkedIn is saying you could put a cover story on. So like more than ever, authenticity is becoming a thing. And I'm like, oh, good thing. God, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's so cool. It's so, so cool yeah. to see where the world is, is really shifting and how, you know, creating avenues like this, like podcasts and social media and stuff like that can really be used in such a positive light, which is so, so cool. And, you know, now what I also love to see is that the collective is changing. Standards are changing. Mm -hmm. Like you said, being on that stage and being able to show emotion is a huge shift in our realities, right? People are talking about, are starting to talk about traumas and how to release them, which brings me back to your story a little bit too, of, you know, how you kept all that in for so many years and, you know, how did you cope with it at that time? And how did you really overcome it? Because I mean, you realized it later in life that you still had that and you had to release it. But at that time, how do you, how you sort of dealt with is everyone deals with it differently. Like I know, like I said, mine I'll sleep and keep working. And I just ignored them to a point where they just bottled up and it just came out. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mask was basketball. Mm. And like, just saying that, like, I've never said that sentence like that way, but like, it's true. Like my mask was basketball. Basketball was my therapy. Mm. I didn't start playing until I was 16 years old. Up until that time, my coping mechanism was just like, be the younger brother, be silly and goofy and funny and, uh, you know, get beat up by your older brothers. <laughs> and that was that. I had no identity. You know, people didn't really know my name. They knew me as like, oh, that's so-and-so's little brother. Right. So when I found basketball, it was the first time in my life, you know, after years of sucking, because trust me, I was horrible when I first started playing. But when I started, like the thing I did have and another thing that me and you bond over is I had drive and work ethic. So the first time I picked up a basketball, I was 16. You know, I got typical athlete story, got cut from varsity as a junior, didn't play my senior year. And I, I remember sitting my mom down and my mom telling me she couldn't afford to send me to college. And I told my mom, I said, I'm going to work two jobs. I'm going to take two years off. 
I'm gonna work two jobs. I'm gonna pay for a two-year college. I'm gonna get a full scholarship to play at a four-year school. And I'm gonna come back home. I'm gonna get a contract to play professional basketball. And my mom looked at me, she said, okay. And like, not even hesitation. And that's what I did. I worked at a pharmacy and a sneaker store. I went to Sussex County Community College. After that second year, I got good enough finally to the point where I had scholarship offers. Went to North Dakota, played there for two years, came back home, got a contract to play in Portugal. And a week before I was supposed to go overseas and play professional basketball, I ruptured my Achilles. And I tell people, it's like, you know, I always hear like when I speak, people are like, oh my gosh, like, how'd you deal with it? I was like, well, life was preparing me for that. Like all these adverse things that I was going through was preparing me for that traumatic event, which could be like, you know, the end all be all. Like I, I could be saying like, well, life is over, right? I did all this work, life is over, but it was just preparing me. So all the things that I, all the hardship that we had, basketball is my way of just like picking up a ball and just walking to the court and shooting baskets and like pouring into that. That was the mask. It's like, that was my therapist. That was my best friend. I used to sleep with my basketball. I'll never forget like my girlfriend in college was like, I can't believe you sleep, in, sleep with your basketball. I was like, you would sleep on the floor before my ball did. Like, that's how, like, I let everybody know like, and it wasn't being mean. I was just like letting everybody know. It's like my mom and basketball. Like, those are the two most important things in my life, right? So, and that also helped my drive with everything else. Like when I started coaching basketball shortly after, you know, my drive was the same. When I started, you know, like it's always been the same as an entrepreneur. I went on my first business like 14 years ago and the same thing. My drive has always been the same because I was able to get those tools through my life, you know, through the hardship, through the fire. I was able to get these tools to not just cope, but to thrive. And when I get punched in the mouth by life, not to lay on the ground and not get back up. We're fighters. You know, when we get hit, like we might stagger, you might knock us down, but best believe we're going to get up, right? And we're going to get up swinging. And that's, that's the thing. That's why I, I'll never take anything back. You know, my mom, you know, raised us on everything happens for a reason. I remember her saying to me that, saying that to me when I was six or seven years old. And I didn't understand it because my big rebuttal for that was, well, why would I grow up without a father? Why, why would everything happen for a reason? I'm sitting here watching my friends play catch with their dad or hang out with their fathers. And it's like, I don't have a dad. I didn't know until I had my son. My son was born June 4th, 2013, 428 AM. And at that moment when I held my son, I knew why I grew up without a dad. Because I was like, there's no job that's more important than me being a father. Like no job. So I just pour everything into my kids, you know, and I know why. And like, and I know like energy doesn't go anywhere. And I know, I, I feel my father's presence. Like once I started speaking, I started feeling his presence. You know, when I was younger, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel, it wasn't until I started speaking. And I was um, speaking at Clark, New Jersey to 250 like educators, teachers and special educators. And I, I spoke, and then after I spoke for like two hours, this guy came up to me and he goes, uh, I knew your father, older guy, like 60 years old. And I said, excuse me? He goes, I was one of those kids that your father helped get off the street when I was younger. And his name was Vern, he gave me a hug and I was just like, okay, I get it. You know, like they named the street after my father uh, nine years ago because he did so much community service work. He got kids off the streets, et cetera. And I was talking to one of those kids who's now, you know, an older man. And I said something to him 
and it looked like he saw a ghost and he stopped and he goes, your father said that same thing to me, you know, 40, 50 some years ago at this, in this very same spot, exactly what you just said. And I get goosebumps talking about it now. And I, I was just like, <laughs> yeah, and I, but it was like that affirmation, like, okay, it's like almost like my dad has been waiting for me to do what I was supposed to do in life, you know, and now that I'm doing it, he's like, okay, cool. Let's go incredible so you've just been guided this whole time when you realize that which is incredible what a journey oh my goodness and then going into you know from all this and writing a book and just not just that book you have many books so (laughs) you know starting off from that and kind of branching off into like building your building your brand like what was what was that experience like because you you know entrepreneurship can throw you for a real loop especially the first three to five years especially when it's something brand new brand new so how did you sort of take you know start building your brand and what were some of the hardships in the beginning and breaking through that I'm not just saying it because I love you that's an unbelievable question uh and I don't think I've been asked that and and I've been interviewed a lot that's a great question when I opened up my basketball business, Crossroads Basketball, uh, I was 25 years old, right? 26 years old. And I was young and I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I got to concentrate professional basketball. All I got to do is run a camp. And like the Pied Piper, hundreds of kids are going to flood it because I'm Cornell Thomas and I'm dope and kids are going to just come, right? Not thinking about like, one, you're, you're pretty new to the area. Two, they don't know who you are because you're in some place that you you didn't even play basketball like you're so far removed from it and three it's going to be a little bit more than that so I remember I hired four counselors and I ordered a thousand t-shirts because we were going to have four weeks of camp so I was going to say okay well I mean we'll have like 300 kids like 200 kids per camp you know I'll keep the other you know whatever so camp was going to start at 9 15 at 8 50 it was me and the four other uh, counselors by 9 15 one kid came in by 9.30, we had three. And that's what we had for that first week of camp. So I was in the red, like about two grand, right? 2,500. The, I had to cancel the other three camps because we had zero signups. And I realized, and I said this in the, in the book, it's not enough to just build it and think they can, they're going to come, like Field of Dreams. There's a lot more groundwork you have to do, right? You got to do the legwork. You have to do the research. And when it came to speaking... And I say this all the time. I could have easily did what speaker A, B, C, and D did, right? And have conversations with people and sell you the same bullshit right after the talk or do a video about my grandma, but at the end of it, it's going to lead to some coaching funnel and blah, 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 right? Like, you know how they do it. They're like, when I was seven, you know, my grandma, you know, gave me a piece of candy and I never got rid of it. And now I'm selling candy, you know, and they're like telling like, they sell some type of candy to you. It's like, okay, dog. So that whole story was crap, right? So I said to myself early on, I'm going to do the groundwork, right? I'm not going to buy 30,000 followers. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm going to be me, right? And I'm going to be real and I'm not going to be apolitical. And if there's something that is on my mind or there's injustice, I'm going to speak on it because none of these speakers speak on any of that stuff that actually matters, right? Like, because God forbid if someone doesn't buy the coaching program, I don't give a shit. So I'm going to be me. And it's going to take a little bit longer, right? I've had PR people come up to me and be like, Cornell, if you come here, you know, we can get you here, 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 and we can name you the positivity guy. I'm like, well, no, ever. 
uh, and second, uh, that's not my name. So if you need a shtick to get me on some news show, I'd rather not be on the news show, right? So I'm taking the long way around and I have no, I have zero people on my team. I just hired, just hired my first like virtual assistant in eight and a half years, mm. right? So I want people to understand like all this stuff is possible and that road less travel might take a little bit longer. It might be a little bit windier, mm. but when you are successful, you'll show up as yourself and not a second rate version of your favorite speaker that doesn't give a crap about you anyway, right? So for when it comes to branding, it, it's all about being yourself. It's all about being ready to work and just understanding what opportunity is. And like, I just went through Instagram. I was like, this person that's following me in Dubai is an events planner. Why wouldn't I contact them and say, do you have any events that I can speak at, right? This, if I go to England, in 2015 was the first time I went to the UK. I was like, if I go to England, as soon as I go to the UK and speak, I'm an international speaker. Right. So like, I know something in the UK, like, why don't I go there and like make something happen? Like, then I just, I started like putting that stuff together and just being creative. And another thing really important, you can't suck. You can't suck because if opportunity comes and you suck, guess what? That door is closed. You got to find another door. So you got to practice. You got to work on your craft. You got to get better. You got to like, you got to be good at what you do. I know it sounds crazy. And even though you'll see that person, that's horrible at what they do, and they have some type of success, understand there's someone they know or the smoke and mirrors and it's not what it looks like, right? So you just, you gotta be good at what you do as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I always ask that, especially for entrepreneurs, the journeys are so different, but they're all very similar. Like it takes time to learn certain things and just, you just, I mean, the first three to five years are really, um, I like to say trivial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It's uh constant fires that you have to put mm -hmm. out, constant learning, sleepless nights at times, you know, all these things. But now, you know, from the outside looking in, it's all so totally worth it. But you know, entrepreneurs are a really big soft spot for me because they're the ones, I mean, the, the mental health, I mean, everyone has, you know, their mental health stuff, but entrepreneurs, I feel like especially are not talked about as much because it's like we're, we're here we're supposed to look super successful but meanwhile we're struggling on the inside because we're trying to figure out how to run this business and but also be this positive person but then run this business and do all these you know so it becomes so you know so interesting and whenever I'm speaking to another entrepreneur I always want to shed light on the fact that like hey we don't have it all figured out and we've had our trials and tribulations along the journey no matter what our journey looks like could be totally different realms but always that that's amazing that's amazing and so getting your first gig like how was that like you know going from your book because like you went from a simple blog to then a book to then being on international speaker so what was what was that like and and I'd love to know like your mental mantras like how how you pull through like in your own mind just be super cool to hear my first speaking engagement was in front of 14 people at a dance studio and they're all and they're eating lunch it's literally the worst case scenario because when you're in front of 14 people, that's not a lot of people and they're eating lunch. You can hear every smack. You can hear every, like you can see the tomato drop out the sandwich. And a friend of mine that I was doing, like we worked out the same gym. She was the head of it. And she was like, I wrote on my Facebook and my Instagram speaker. And she said, Oh, you see that you speak Will you speak, you know, for free, of course, at my dance studio. I said, sure. I'll share my story. So that's what I do. I spoke for free for nine months. 
Wow. Right. And luckily I had, you know, my bit basketball business, you know, cause that was, was what paid the bills. And I would just speak wherever, anywhere, anybody would have me, I'd say yes and speak. Kids, cause it was all practice. And when you're speaking at high schools, I always tell people, if you want to get into speaking and you think your story is pretty good, go to a high school. <laughs> let, let me know how it goes. Like, yeah. you know, like go to high school. Let me know how it goes. Right. Because they will eat you up if they see BS, if they feel BS. They'll eat you up if you're not engaging. They will eat you up. It won't even, you, they'll give you a minute or two. Like adults will be courteous. Right. We'll be like, okay, like this person's not very good. Okay. High school kids, they'll be in their phone so quick. Like taking Snapchats of you, like crappy speaker today for the assembly. Like they're go, they'll go ham. So it, it really was just me just going, you know, eight, nine months and speaking and not getting paid. And the first time I got paid, it was, I was on a panel and I got a hundred dollars and I never cashed it. I needed to cash. It. I never cashed it. And I said, when this has more zeros at the end of it, I always want to remember, you know, where I came from. And so I, and I still have it in my book bag and, and that's how it happened. It's like, I just started saying to myself, okay, the more I speak, the more eyes that are going to see me. And we're all trees with branches and those branches are other people, right? Like Frank introduced us. And it's like, so we, we don't, you never know who knows who, whomever. So if I keep speaking, if I keep going out, someone's going to want to hire me. And if you're good from your speaking engagement, one or two people will at least inquire about you right? Or remember you. So that's what I did. I just started like speaking all over the place. You Like my old pictures is so funny. You'll see me like at like a dare, like the drug awareness for like little kids. Then you see me at like this random, like I'll be at a group home. Then you'll see me at like a business event. I'm everywhere. You see me like at a circus. I'll be at a Bob Mitzvah. Like it's just the weirdest stuff. It's like, you're like, why is Cornell the McDonald's playpen? And I'm like speaking to like Ronald and Grimace. Uh, it just, wherever. Wherever, whoever would have me at speak. I love it. Question for you, Cornell. Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, as a kid, what what was it? Nothing. 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 I swear to you, that question used to haunt me every year at school because really? there was nothing that I wanted to be. Nothing. I just, I was so content with being a kid. Nothing. It wasn't until I was 16 and started playing basketball where I actually had direction of like, okay, I want to be this thing. Other than that, nothing. I was just like, oh, I'm a kid you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I just want to eat my lemon heads and, you know, now and laters and like, just be a kid. And then I was 16 and like, just the idea of I could be something. And basketball, like put that spark, that idea, like, yo, you could be something, like you could aspire to be something that you're not. I just never had that. So it was just, it, it wasn't until I was 16 that I actually started thinking about, well, what can, what could I possibly be? Like, what is it? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think you were, I think you were just content with being yourself for all those years. Yeah, I'm yeah. just gonna be me. So yeah. intuitively, <laughs> intuitively, you knew. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, somewhere in there, the young Cornell that was eating way too much sugar uh, and jelly sandwiches, he knew like, okay, he's just gonna be himself. That's so awesome. Oh my gosh. And now like on your journey, right? You know, what yeah. would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Man, I would probably say if it didn't have a butterfly effect and affect my life, I would say, listen, right? Listen a little bit more and uh, you're good. Don't worry. Like, it's good. It's okay to not know. Okay to not know. It's okay not to not know what you want to be, 
right? It's okay not to have an answer. A lot of times the answers are, are wrong. Any like the kids are like, they just make stuff up anyway, just to appease to the adults. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a lion tamer. No, you don't. You don't want to die. Like, you don't want to be a lion tamer. Shut up, right? You're just saying it so the adult has an answer, right? That question's more for the adult than the kid, right? So it's like, it's okay not to know. I know college kids that have no idea what they want to be when they grow up, and it's okay, right? We're in a day and age right now where you can run a business out of a phone, right? Something that's like not even six inches long. You can run a business out of a phone completely. So like, you're good. You have Fiverr, you have all these different things. Like you need a website, boom. You need a logo design, boom. You need to, hey, you got a business. You need an LLC, get that in 20 minutes, all right? And now you're good to go. So I always tell people, have patience with yourself, right? It's okay. You're 40 years old. You want to start a new career. Have patience with yourself. There's something out there that you can do. Amazing. That's amazing. And so throughout your journey, what's been like your favorite moment, would you say? Speaking or whatever, whatever comes to oh mind. Why you got to go and do that, girl? Um, <laughs> let me see. I'll give, I'll give you to the birth of my children, 150%. It was very surreal. And they, 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 they tell you this uh, urban legend that you'll be uptown and not downtown as the father. And that's not true. You are downtown. Like you're, and it, it, it is a sight, right? But like, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> my kids were born. I was like, okay, well, this is the health class I didn't pay attention to. But when they came out, I was just like, so overjoyed. You know, I've never, I've never felt that type of emotion. Like it's a different kind of love when you have kids. And speaking, there's two. One was the first time I went to Dubai. First time I went to Dubai and spoke, I got off the plane and I had 25, 30 minutes before my first talk uh, at American University in Dubai. And I, you know, took a quick shower and I ran down to the lobby and they drove me over. And as I was speaking, I was having this conversation with myself, like you're in the Middle East right now. Like you're a little kid from Passaic, New Jersey, like you're in the Middle East talking to people. Like, how crazy is that? Because when you talk long enough, I have these conversations with myself all the time when I'm speaking. I'm like, oh, where are we gonna take the audience today? Like, what are we gonna do, you know? And I said that to myself a couple of times and I was like, I can't believe I'm in Dubai. And the first time I went to, the, to England in 2015, I remember having a very similar thought. I'm walking down these cobblestone roads and we never had the means to travel. We never had the money to go and, you know, travel, go to different countries or whatever. I mean, our, our vacation was to my, where my mom was from in Virginia and back, right? Like that was the exotic vacation. And I was sitting there, I was like, man, if your younger self knew like where you'd be traveling. Like one of my favorite books of all time is All the Places You'll Go, right? by Dr. Seuss. And um, I have, actually have a pair of socks with a book cover on, like a pair of socks. And that's the one, like, that's another thing. Like, I even, not even me as a young child, me as an adult, I didn't have any interest of traveling before I started speaking because I didn't know what it was. And when you go to these like inner city areas and these kind of impoverished areas and the kids only know a couple city blocks, and they don't know what's 30 minutes away from them, 25 minutes away from them. You know, like kids in Compton don't know there's a Santa Monica, right? Like not that far away. You're not exposed to it. So even as you're an adult, you kind of push it away. And when I went to England for the first time, I said, I want to come back here immediately. Like I want to continue to do this. Now, every time I go out and I travel and I meet these beautiful people and like from all over the world, I just like, it just blows me away. I'm, I'm so appreciative. I, I never understood how 
speakers and entertainers can be that moronic where they would take that stuff for granted, right? Like where they'd go somewhere and they'd have bad attitudes or like, you know, I only want the blue M&Ms. Like, like when I go places, I'm so appreciative. Like when I went to Dubai this last time, like a month and a half ago, bam, they made chocolates out of my like book covers. What? So I, I swear to you, uh, my buddy Fahad at Tajar's, uh, this big incubator in Dubai, this big like entrepreneur, you would love it. Big entrepreneur, like, you know, he's they're actually moving to an even bigger building. There's a place where people think of a we work, but like people collaborate with each other. So I get in there and they're like, I, they, they said, can you speak for an hour and a half? I spoke for three hours, right? <laughs> and they're like, they're like, brother, we have something for you. And they open this thing up and I have a video on my Instagram. And there's these pictures of like the cover of my book, like my face. And I was like, I was like, turn that camera on. I said, never in my life have I seen this before. And I was like, I'm going to eat my own face right now. <laughs> and like, I take a bite. And I was like, they were like, like, so like, you know, like, oh, it's nothing. And I'm like, no, that's everything. Yes. The fact that you went out and did, that's everything. And that would never change. But like, the reason we'll always be like this is because how we were brought up. Yeah. right? There's a difference, right? Like if you're raised right, it's always the first time, right? You never get like, oh, this is old hat or whatever. It's always the first time. And hospitality for me, when people do that, it's like, you're going out of your way to do something nice for me. I don't care if it's giving me a straw or a napkin. I'm always going to say thank you. I'm always going to say please. I'm always going to give you a hug if you're hugging people, right? And like, that's just how I am. So I think those, those like two moments as a speaker and that moment as a, just an adult, I'll just, ne- I'll never forget. That's so amazing. So these books of yours, let us in, we'll, tell us a little bit about them so that everyone can check those out. And then, you know, let us know what, what are you up to? What's up in Cornell world the next six to 12 months? <laughs> Cornell, Cornell world is cray. Uh, my fifth book just came out. It's uh, called Game of Death, an entrepreneur survivor guide. Mm. And it's all about what we talked on in terms of like the mindset of an entrepreneur. And like, don't be fooled by the internet. Like, don't think that everybody's a six figure earner in seven days, right? Like eight minute abs, whoever made that sold a million dollars. And guess what? No one had abs after that eight minutes, right? Like it's not a quick fix. It's not a blue pill. Entrepreneurship is a slow burn, right? And sometimes you just get, I mean, you get haymaker. And the people that really want to do this, that really believe in it, they're the ones whose businesses, they stick around and eventually you hear them making it. There was a, a podcast I used to listen to a long time ago called How I Built This. And every entrepreneur story was the same. Hardship, 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 work, work, work. Something happens, tipping point happens, business goes, got some more hardship, then we took off, right? It's always the same story, right? So this book is close to my heart because it's not just about mindset, like positivity, mindset, inspiration. It's more about business as well. Like, you know, these are the things that you're going to go through and this is how you handle it mentally. So I love, I love that book. It just came out. And then what I'm up to, uh, lots of trips. So the places I'll go, I'll tell you right now, Holland, back to the UK. I've spoken, spoken to the UK like eight times, seven times. Holland, back to the UK, Dubai, Saudi, Japan, because I've never been to Japan. So I'm going back. Africa, um, when they open up, I want to go to Ghana. I've never been to Ghana. And then I go from there. You know, then I figure out, okay, where else am I going to hit, right? So, like, I have this map in my in my house where I just, I, I get the chance to look at it every day. 
And I just like put little checks on the places that I go and speak. So the whole map, the whole map I'm coming for, like I'm coming for it because I know what my story does for people. And like when I do corporate workshops and all that, like how it helps I do corporate workshops on like teamwork and culture. So I'm just coming for the map. Right. And it's like, I won't stop until the map's done. So I have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of places to go see, but you'll see in the next, cause we're now newly best friends. You'll see in the next like five, six months. I'll you be like, oh, Cornell's here, 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 here. I'm going to be all over the place. That's amazing, Cornell. That's amazing. Oh, man. I'm so excited to see your journey continue to unfold for you to take over that map, my friend. But now you got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness. You can find me on the gram at CornellThomas34. My website is www.cornell-thomas.com. And also, I, I have a speakers program now that I do a three-month program called Get in the Game. And I teach people that want to get into professional speaking like the right way, how to put their stories together. Because uh, that's what it's all about. Again, it's, I come at it from a way of like, you can't suck, like I got to get you better. And then each speaker has an opportunity to speak at one of my positivity summits. So it's, it's really cool, it's dope. I've had two groups already. My third group is going to start. And it's been great, like giving back and seeing them grow and like get speaking engagements and stuff. And for you guys that want to be speakers, anybody that tells you they can get you gigs, they've never heard you speak before, they are full of crap. Because don't, don't go that route. Because how can you get someone gigs that you don't even know if they're good or not, right? So it's like, don't fall that route. Do the work, roll your sleeves up, put on your hard hat, do the work, and then go from there. You're amazing, Cornell. Thank you so much for being here today. You are a total rock star, and you're just amazing. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.